Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, June 27th, the Teen in Need edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer and editor at Slate, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 11. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 16 and a half, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 19. And today we have a guest host joining us live from Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Hello. Hi, I'm Aminta Steinbach. I'm uh, an organizational consultant in Oakland, California, but on vacation right now in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. I'm the mother to Severin, who is 27 years old, and I know, it's amazing, and the live-in aunt to Amalia, who is 16, and Joaquin, who is 14. Today on the show, we've got a question from a teenager who's having trouble talking about her anxiety with her mom, plus a question about princess privilege. As always, we'll have triumphs and fails, plus recommendations, and in Slate Plus, we'll talk about being a live-in aunt with uh, Aminta. But first, let's do some triumphs and fails. Rebecca, do you have a triumph or a fail for us today? I've got a fail, uh, but bear with me, because it's not the fail you think it's going to be when I first tell you what it is. (laughs) (laughs) My fail is around the fact that I took Teddy this morning to take the driving portion of his driver's license exam, and he failed that portion of his driver's license exam. And the... I'm sorry, Teddy. Yes, he feels freaking awful about it um, for a variety of reasons. Um, one is that he failed on stupid stuff that he's super good at doing, but just was very, very nervous. Um, but the other reason he was really upset, and this is kind of like where the systemic failure of this comes in, is that it's taken him a really long time to get to the point where we've actually been like going to the DMV and getting him to be a licensed driver. Where I live in New Hampshire, it is 100% necessary to get your kids licensed as soon as you can because you can't get anywhere without a driver's license. We have almost no public transportation, uh, even like walking places. Like I live on top of a huge hill. So like walking to a friend's house, it's not impossible, but it would take a super long time to get back. And um, we just live in a very like driving culture here. So, you know, kind of getting your kids into a car with the ability to drive, even if they don't have access to a car full time, it's it's much more important here than it was for me growing up in New York, where I didn't get my license until I was 20 and it was no big deal at all. So it's taken Teddy a super long time. He took driver's ed this year um, during the school year. He could have taken his written test and his driving test in like January or February, but he just wasn't into it. Um, he kind of has like a lot of angst around like, You know, he's got like not super motivated, but he also has a lot of angst around stuff that he knows was easy for his brother to do. And like he kind of avoids those things because he worries about failing in comparison to his brother. And of course, for his brother, like 
who like takes everything on like it's the most earnest challenge in the world. When he took driver's ed, he wanted to practice every single day and he wanted to get his license like the day after driver's ed was over, like on his birthday. We took him to the DMV and, you know, so he just like was really successful at it. And I think Teddy was very worried about not being as successful. And as uh, a result of that, he avoided it. So we went last week to take the written part of the test or actually earlier this week. And it was super busy day at the DMV, so we couldn't stick around for the driving portion. So he passed the written portion in very, very, very Teddy fashion, where you have to get 32 questions right out of 40. You're allowed to skip ones you don't know and then go back to them. And at the end of the test, the first time, he had gotten 31 right uh, and had skipped four. So he had four chances to get one more right. And in very Teddy fashion, he was like, open the first one. He's like, nope, don't know that one. <laughs> Skipped it again and was like, okay, now I have three chances. But he did it. He passed. And I was so proud of him and like so excited that we'd gotten there. We scheduled this test today. And we're driving there. And I just really had this strong feeling that he might not pass the first time, which I should also say like really is not a big deal. Like my stepdaughter took it twice and did not pass and then finally did. I mean, there's like things that can trip you up. So I tried to like lay the foundation for that this whole time. Like you got you got through the written test. That's like the, you know, that's one huge portion. And you only have to do this one other thing. And if it doesn't happen today, like it will happen. Don't worry about it. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're driving there today and he's fine. But then he didn't pass. And he was so upset and angry with himself because it was like, it was like a dumb thing. It was like literally like a stop sign hidden behind a tree. And the guy even said to him like, yes, that stop sign is hidden behind a tree, but you should have seen it anyway. And, you know, it was like one of those things that like a nervous kid would do. Um, and he just feels so awful about it. And the fail here is that there is no way that I have been able to find to make him feel okay about this thing that like I objectively know is okay. In 10 days, we'll go do it again. He'll probably pass. If not, 10 days after that, we'll go do it again. He'll probably pass. Like he is going to pass. He's actually a very good driver. He's a much better driver than Henry was when Henry passed his driving test. And there's literally no way to comfort a kid with this like momentous thing, you know, having failed it because it's like so embroiled in like embarrassment and anticipation and like this pending sense of freedom and then they don't have it. But people knew they were going to try and they didn't make it. And so he's just really upset. And I just feel like a total failure for not even being able to like imagine a way for him to be less upset about this. So that's why I'm couching it as a fail. I really don't care about Teddy failing the actual test. I'm so proud of him for making it this far into the process that he had been avoiding for so long. That's a big triumph for him. But yeah, I I couldn't quite. I had to go to work after, and I couldn't quite figure out a way to turn it around. So if you guys have any, have, if you guys have any ideas for me, <laughs> feel free to let me know. Well, I it's funny. My my goddaughter took her driver's test today and failed it. And um, oh my god, I, I'm so sorry. I know it's so interesting. And she took it. It turned out that the tester she got um, is a, a woman named Gail, who is known throughout Massachusetts as Fail Gail. So apparently, <laughs> she, apparently she's not the first that failed when they tested with Gail. Um, but you know, that's only some comfort when you're in facing failure. Um, and in this case, though, I was hearing about it from her mom, so third hand, you know, and she was describing that my goddaughter texted her brother afterwards and said, I failed and it was all fine and, until dad started crying. And uh, oh, and God. that was the hardest part for me. 
And I thought, oh, yeah, because actually all she's doing is failing. And it's not the first time she's failed. And it certainly isn't the last time she's going to fail. So as long as we don't compound it with our own sad, bad, mad feelings about their experience of the failure, then I actually think in a way... It might not be a triumph, you're right. It's still a fail, technically. But I think on your side, maybe it's sort of a triumph. I mean, you certainly didn't start crying about it. Yeah, that's right. No, I did not start crying. Although, when he was out there, I did feel, because I saw them drive out of the parking lot, and I was texting his dad and my husband, and I was like, I told them both, like, I feel like I'm taking the test right now. I'm so freaking nervous. I feel like it was like a suspense film that I was watching. So, yeah, it took everything I could to not do that. But, I mean, it is in this situation, you just have to sort of, like, take the L with the kid and just be like, yeah, this sucks. But you'll get him next time, slugger. Exactly. <laughs> I would like to push back a little against the idea of this as a fail on your part, Rebecca. You know, you said the, what you feel the fail is is that – You weren't able to comfort him, Mm. which you viewed as your job in this moment. But I don't actually think that is your job in this moment. I don't think comfort from you is what he wants or what can solve this problem. You know exactly what can solve this problem and what what will eventually solve this problem, which is him passing the test, which you know is going to happen. And so – I really I agree with you that your role here is really to just take the L alongside him and to agree with him that it sucks and to be like, well, you got to do it again. You know, I just don't <laughs> I just don't exactly think that what like, I did. <laughs> comfort from a parent is actually or like any real emotional response from a parent. I mean, especially not crying. Yeah. I don't think either of those like are that useful to a kid in this moment. And that's not what a kid wants yeah. or needs. Well, I, I think that's right. And thank you very much for that, because that's exactly kind of how I feel. It just it does suck when your kid is that unhappy and, and angry oh, yeah. with himself. It's a different kind of suck than when they just do, you know, poorly on something that like is more arbitrary. Like like when they it's actually their fault. It is so much worse than oh, yeah. when other kinds of bad things yeah. happen to them. Yeah. Aminto, what about you? Do you have a triumph or a fail for us today? I have a triumph. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I know. It's yeah, amazing. So the... Triumph has to do with my niece and nephew who just got to town late last night. They flew in from California. Um, So I let them sleep in as long as they possibly could this morning. So with teenagers, that's, you know, that's always part of the triumph is if they actually get enough sleep. Um, And so then after they woke up and got some food in them, um, I could already sense there was there were a lot of things going on. So we're we're now in the context where we're on vacation and their parents aren't here, but I'm here with them. They're living aunt and I live with them all year round. So they're used to living with me. But usually their mother is around when I'm around. And so in this case she's not. And then add to that, my parents are around. So they have an aunt and grandparents and we're all kind of in this house rumbling around together. And my triumph is that what I felt mounting in me was, okay, so who exactly is going to wash these dishes? And whose responsibility is it to go to the grocery store? I knew that I had to go to the grocery store. But when I went this morning while they were sleeping, I got all the things I want them to eat, not the things that they actually want to eat. 
Um, and then and then all the other millions of little tasks, you know, who is going to make sure that they're wearing bike helmets, who's going to make sure that they actually have a curfew, you know, all the things that go along with it. And I wanted to make a list of rules and um, and then put them up and maybe maybe discuss them a little bit. Um, but instead, I remembered anything that we co-create is going to be better than anything I could possibly come up with for them. Um, and not only that, I even remembered instead of saying, so we're going to have a family meeting to talk about what the rules for how we live together are. Instead of even doing that, I said, so I'm thinking that we might want to get together and figure out how we all get along together. Can the two of you talk with each other and then come up with some recommendations for us about how we can figure that out and when we might do that and who should be present at that at that meeting or gathering where we figure it out? And they were like, yeah, okay, sure. They kind of shrugged and slumped away. And then I went away for 40 minutes. And when I came back, I said, so did you, did you talk about it? And they, they said, yeah, we figured it out. So we think we need to have a family meeting. We think everybody needs to be there, including the grandparents, because we're all going to be in this together. We think it should be at 8.30 at <laughs> night after everybody has done all of their activities for the day. But before, we're so tired that we're all falling asleep at the meeting. And we think that in that meeting, we'll come up with a list of things, and we should probably write it all down so we can remember it. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was like everything. Perfect. It was everything that I could have wanted, but said in a way stricter way, <laughs> way more specific than I ever would have thought to come up with because not wanting to be the pushy, bossy, mean aunt, you know, and they, and they sounded so sure of themselves and so proud. So my triumph here was remembering that finding ways to ask for their leadership is a great trick, a route, a trick entrance into truly getting them to take ownership of whatever it is that I want to get done. And not only that, Amazing. but it's, Amazing. But it's like a way to escape uh, like being the hassler. Like it's a way often yes. to get the thing that you want anyway without having to be an asshole yes. about it. Uh, that's a fantastic triumph and a great vacation triumph too, because <laughs> it represents a triumph through inactivity. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's my favorite kind of triumph. Oh yeah, those are the best. <laughs> uh, all right, I have a, a fail through inactivity. Um, yes. So uh, last night at dinner, um, <laughs> while we sat and ate, we watched some old DVDs that we had not watched in a while. Um, they're called Lyra Year One and Lyra Year Two. And these are DVDs that I made way back when out of all of our various home video footage of Lyra's first two years, our older daughter's first two years. You know, it's like her toddling around and learning to eat and babbling and, you know. Um, and I remember spending like weeks in, I guess, 2006 and 2007, editing these videos together and burning the DVDs in a, in a DVD burner drive that we had that was like our prized possession uh, and sending them to all the various grandparents. And I like printed out inserts for the DVD cases. The DVDs are great. They're so great. We love them. <laughs> so where, where is the fail? Well... Oh, I can I can uh, tell yeah, what's coming. <laughs> um, as I said, we have not watched these DVDs in years, and we watched them with Lyra this week 
because this week Harper is at Girl Scout camp. If Harper was around, <laughs> she would be pissed, justifiably so, mm. that there is no equivalent video documentation of her first years. So I spent July of 2007 making Lyra year two, and then in August of 2007, Harper was born, and never again would I spend hours curating home video. We were so you know thoroughly overwhelmed for the next I mean, I guess 12 years and counting, um, that we barely even managed to shoot any video. There are, I guess, a few videos of Harper that we managed to upload to YouTube (laughs) at some point. But there is absolutely no fancy DVD called Harper Year One, and nor is there a fancy DVD called Harper Year Two. And so, you know, it's classic second kid syndrome. It's a total fail. I feel totally awful, like, looking back on this and realizing, once again, we have these things uh, that we love that we can't even bring out when Harper's around because her feelings will be so reasonably hurt by the fact that we just stopped giving a shit. Um, But, you know, it's too late (laughs) to do anything about it now. So I've started to think, like, what is the lesson here that you, the listener, uh, can draw from my fail? And I guess you might think that the lesson is, you know, find the time when your second child is born. Do the work. Put in the effort. But in fact, that's impossible. So I think the lesson is don't try so hard on your first kid. Uh, yeah, I didn't that's like. Right. I didn't need to Amen. spend all those weeks editing the DVDs and making menus for the DVDs. Like there's little DVD animated menus oh, that I design and shit. Mm. Um, I didn't need to do that. I could have just thrown that crap up on YouTube and it would have been fine. <laughs> Oh my god! I have one piece of evidence that uh, one piece of video evidence that Teddy, my second child, was actually ever a baby. Just right. one piece. Treasure it. Which is that he was toddling around. It's like this twelve-second video that one of us took, like on our regular still camera that could shoot video at the time, which was very fancy for mm-hmm. two thousand three. This is twelve-second video of him walking in a baby walker, and then from out of the frame. Henry, who was 18 months older, comes barreling in and tackles the walker, (laughs) toppling it out of the frame. And all you hear is the horrifying screams of baby Teddy as his head like slams on the wooden floor. Literally the only video evidence that he was ever a baby. And that's all I have. It's all I can find. I think it's all we ever That's good, though. It's like the Rosetta Stone in that it's a tiny fragment that within it (laughs) contains the completeness of the story. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I'm feeling your fail, and I'm I'm with you on yeah. the lesson too. Yeah, I mean it's a sad lesson because, of course, it's I don't I don't even know if it's possible for people to follow that one. I mean, but I think in your example, you give a good example of yeah, you don't have to be that dad, the making the inserts and the table of contents and taking yes. it everywhere, and just because I heard it so glaringly obvious in there, the amazing opportunity to do the Harper videos now. That's true. We could have an amazing DVD of Harper Year 11. Harper Year 11. And (laughs) and as a parent, you know, I can say the, the miracle thing that I've experienced actually as a child to my parents is having my parents come to me and say, I think I might have done this thing wrong. And so as a parent to say, I, you know, think I might have done this thing wrong. And you know, I'm wondering, I was wondering if you'd be interested in doing a Harper Year 11. Like, can we do that? <laughs> That's Just a great that. idea. Mm. That's a great idea. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna, I don't, I Help don't me have, renew my dreams. I don't have the time, but I'm going to hire a professional <laughs> documentarian to take care of that. <laughs> 
Richard oh, Linklater is, I'm um, sure, free and ready to go for you. <laughs> hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, all right. Before we move on, let's uh, talk some business on this here podcast. Uh, you should subscribe to Slate's parenting newsletter. So every week I write a letter uh, to a select group of people. And right now it's about 3,000 people. But you can be one of that select group of people um, because that letter is Slate's parenting newsletter. Now, as it happens, the newsletter is also the best place to be notified about all the parenting stuff Slate publishes, including care and feeding, our parenting advice column. Uh, reviews of family movies like Toy Story 4, parenting news, and also updates on this very podcast. But also, uh, I write a letter every week, and you can get it. This week, the letter is a horror story. So you can sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. Uh, it's fun. Sign up. It's free. As always, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air in Mom and Dad are Fighting, leave us a message at 424-255-7833. Or if you want Shasha to read it out loud, you can email us at momanddad at slate.com. And check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a very fun, very tight community, and we moderate it. So um, it is mostly free of assholes other than me. In Slate Plus today, we are talking to our guest, Aminta, about being a live-in aunt. I really want to know what that is like. Are there privileges, Aminta, that you don't get if you are just a boring old live-in mom? Are you constantly battling with people about authority? We will find out in our Slate Plus segment. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, Sign up for Slate Plus. <clears throat> Slate Plus is our membership program. It's a great way to support the work that Slate does in print and podcast form. For just 35 bucks for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate podcasts, plus a ton of other great benefits. So if you would like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, onward. Let's start off today with a listener question. This question was emailed to us. Again, if you'd like to email us a question, send it to momanddad at slate.com. This question is being read by the one, the only, Shasha Leonard. Hi, I'm a 14-year-old girl who listens to your podcast with my mom. And I have a question. Recently, I have been struggling with anxiety, which has really made an impact on my life. I started on a medicine that messed me up and caused me to jump out of a window, which, by the way, sounds so much worse than it was, but I'm totally fine. Anyway, I told my mom right away, and she instantly started crying, and I felt horrible. Now whenever I have thoughts and anxiety, I find it hard to talk to her about it because I fear it will hurt her. What can I do to make it so I'm not scared? Please help me, even though I'm not your usual writer. From a teen in need. So... Um, I am so touched by this letter because um, it is a little unusual because it's written from the first person because teen and need, you're writing to us about your own need, not about your kids. 
um, or kids that you know. Um, so I, um, I want to say one thing, first of all, which is that in order to not feel so scared, one of the most important things that you can do is to talk about feeling scared. And so I want to say that already what you've done, this the reaching out um, and telling other people that you're already on the path to not feeling so scared, whether or not you're feeling better yet or not. This is the, the proven path to healing. A really important part of it is telling people how you feel. If you keep something inside you, it can, it can fester in there and, um, you know, you can suffer more. It can kill you. If you let things out of you, then ultimately it can make you stronger. And I think this, this will make, make you stronger. Um, and in terms of what you're asking about, you know, about talking to your mom and then your mom started crying and then in some ways that seeing your mom upset then has become its a whole other problem of its own, not that's on top of the anxiety. Um, some suggestions that I would have is to try out um, other ways of communicating how you're feeling to your mom. So when it comes to communicating, there's the talking out loud and looking right at her. And then sometimes, yeah, she might show some really strong feelings. And that's hard to see, especially on a mom. And then there are other options like writing something down, writing down, this is how I'm feeling, and handing it to her and saying, I don't want to be here while you read this. Um, or even writing something down, handing it to her and saying, I'm going to stand here, but I'm going to avert my eyes or close my eyes. I don't want to watch you while you read this. Um, and even an option that that my nephew, the 14 year old in my life has has used, which is that he now sometimes will stand in front of me and tell me the thing that's hard for him to talk to talk about with his eyes closed standing right in front of me because he says like he can get it out better if he doesn't have to look at how I'm responding. Um, and then hmm. the other thing I would say is that if even that seems too much because talking to someone like a mom who is in my life all the time, so I don't want me being anxious or hurt or in pain, I don't want that to become part of the story that she tells herself about me. I don't necessarily want her to start asking me, are you okay? And is everything all right? Or sort of looking at me in a worried way. And so sometimes a thing to do is also talk to someone that is not your mom. So someone else in your life that does that you don't have to see all the time, someone that you can talk to them in a little small container and then leave it behind when you walk away from them. And, and that is what the, the right use of people like school counselors or a teen helpline or a therapist. Like the reason that people sometimes use those people is because it's a way I can talk about something that's really hard to talk about and then I can get up and walk away and I don't have to see them every second, every night. I don't have to go home to them and look them in the eye. I can keep it there. The more I talk about it, the more normal it seems and more normal it will feel and sound coming out of my mouth. And the more I can normalize it, maybe then when I go to talk to my mom or the person who's closest to me, where it feels the most challenging and emotional to talk to them, now that I've practiced it, saying it in a really normalized way, 
And I also want to say that I can tell you're already good at that because you were able to write to us about jumping out a window and make it sound like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It sounds like a big deal, but it actually wasn't that big of a deal. And I believe you because of how you said it to us. I also believed you. Um, and I, I also was struck by that note uh, in this letter. Um, I would still encourage you to please not jump out any more windows. Um, and and I'm glad, as Aminta said, that this letter really shows to me that you're taking your health seriously um, and that you're find, looking for people to talk to about this, uh, which, as Aminta notes, is a really great way to start feeling better. Um, I want you to continue to do so. One thing you might consider if you decide that therapy is something that you might want to pursue, or in fact, if you're already pursuing therapy, as may be the case, given that you are um, on anti-anxiety meds at this point, um, you might consider encouraging your mom to join you from time to time in that room with the therapist. Not all the time. Um, a lot of times you want to just be in there with that person to talk to him or her and have that conversation remain private. But having your parent in the room, I can say from the perspective of a parent who's been in the room, um, can give you a way to talk through these things to someone who's not your mom while still having your mom there to hear it. Your mom's not the focus. It's, your mom is not the person you're directing this to. Your mom is likely going to be able to um, – Keep it together a little bit more in that environment. Not that's not always the case, but that's often the case. Um, and it the triangle that you create in that circumstance, I think, can help to make you feel a bit more comfortable about speaking honestly and a bit less worried about what that response is going to be. I think everything that both of you said is really good, and I want to add to it. I first of all, it was really brave and awesome of you to send us this note. And I also believe you when you say I did this thing, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, medication can be a tricky thing in terms of getting it right. And I hope that you continue to think about your health and give the feedback to your doctor and your therapist around what's working, what isn't. And you continue to refine that because uh, it sounds like you want to not suffer from anxiety, and I think that's great. And I think it's great that you feel comfortable sharing your story. There's, like, way too much stigma around people talking about their depression and anxiety and other mental health challenges in this world. And don't not do that just because you got this one reaction from your mom. Keep doing it because you... Uh, not only will be able to kind of like own your own path to health, but you'll also be helping other people like I'm sure you are now hearing your story on this podcast. The other thing that I wanted to add is um, I really relate to your story because my mom, when I was a kid, would freak out anytime we would tell her anything. And as a result, we never told her anything anymore. And to this day, there are still things that I would never talk to my mom about. I am 45 years old and I would never, for instance, tell her that one of my kids was suspended from school for five days in the last couple of years. I would never tell her that because she would freak out. It would become like this whole thing. And I just have to do a lot of work to avoid those kinds of conversations. Um, the thing that could have changed that for me would have been if I were as smart as you are at 14 and had the ability to articulate why it is I didn't want to talk to my mom. Like we had an opportunity maybe to change that pattern. 
I was in a position, and I see kids like this all the time, where I was accommodating what it was I was able to share and the relationship I was able to have with my mom based on what she needed from us, which was to basically be shielded from all of these bad things. That's something that you have the opportunity to talk to your mom about. Um, Your mom, there's a good chance, I'm not saying this is definitely what's happening, but there's a good chance she also is dealing with some anxiety issues. And this is how her anxiety issues, the way that they're manifesting itself, there's a chance are manifesting themselves in, in your relationship where her anxiety unchecked, where she's unable to not react really strongly when she talks to you about real stuff. Uh, is impeding your ability to want to talk to her. So I would suggest, I, I do think if you're not seeing a therapist, I would suggest, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it sounds like your parents would be down with that or your mom would because, you know, you're trying this medication anyway. Talk to a therapist, but have one of the conversations be about that. How do I make it so that I feel safe going to my mom when I'm having a challenging time? Because that's a pattern that if you can change it and work with your mom to change it is worth doing because this one thing that happened in your life is not going to be the last thing that happens in your life that's difficult. And if you want to have the kind of relationship with your mom, which it sounds like you do, which I so envy and is so wonderful, where you can just go to her and be like, oh, I had a super crap day. Here's what happened. And 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 not dread it because you're not going to get this like, horrible reaction where then you feel like you're parenting your mom to try to control it. Communicate that. Talk about that. Talk about that more overriding the actual incident that precipitated. Talk about how upsetting that was, how much you want it to be that you can go to her and not feel like you have to hold back uh, because you're worried about hurting or upsetting her. At the end of the day, it's your parents' job to parent you. And it's not your job at all to parent your parents. Keep that in mind and feel free to say something along those lines in a moment where you feel like you can, whether it be with a therapist or not, because this is definitely a pattern that you have the power to try to change. I'm not guaranteeing you'll be able to, but you have the power to try. And if I were as smart as you were when I when I was 14 years old, Uh, I should have and would have tried to do it, and I I wish that I had. So good luck to you, and we'll be thinking about you, and feel free to stay in touch. It is awesome to hear from a kid listener of this show. Yes, thank you a lot, Tina Need. Um, We hope this was helpful, and we would really love to hear from you again to hear how this is progressing uh, as, as this goes along. And thank you, Tina Need, for writing in. Once again, if you'd like us to answer your parenting question or, as in this case, your being a kid question, Email us at momanddad at slate.com. Okay, here's our second question today, read again by Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I hope I don't sound too ridiculous asking this question because it's most definitely an example of my privilege. I am a mother of two girls, ages one and four. My four-year-old loves playing dress up, especially wearing princess dresses. She is blonde with blue eyes and most of her favorite Disney princesses don't look like her, like Tiana from The Princess and the Frog and Jasmine from Aladdin. I like that she admires these princesses who don't exactly look like her, but some of these princesses aren't portrayed realistically and some even seem marginalized. Case in point, my daughter recently received a Pocahontas dress as a gift. It is an approximation of the dress the character wears in the Disney movie, but with way more glitter. She was very excited to receive the dress, but I don't want her to wear it. It seems to be classic cultural appropriation. However, I'm not sure how to explain to her why I don't want her to wear it. 
Some of the people in my life have told me they think I'm overthinking it and that it's fine for her to wear it. But I don't buy the cultural appreciation argument. These same people have pointed out to me that I let her wear Tiana's dress, but Tiana wears a green ball gown. It doesn't seem like it's the same thing. What do you think? Am I wrong for not wanting her to wear this dress? If I'm right, how do I explain that to a four-year-old? One option, (laughs) of course, is to not let her wear any Disney princess dresses since they're all morally reprehensible corporate nightmares. Of course, Whoa. we did not do that. Our kids wore princess dresses all the time. We, we came. I am so like I don't want to. I'm not tired of getting this question. I like chose for us to tackle this question, but we get this question a lot. Oh yeah, and I'm really surprised at the frequency with which we get it. And as a result of the frequency with which you get it, I think my answer on it has evolved. Oh, I would like um, to know. I'm more. just I was thinking there, we could short. put it to bed, but let's go. Yeah. No. 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 Like. Do not let your daughter wear this dress and tell her exactly why it's not okay. Mm-hmm. You like this is this is not something to be avoided. This is a huge opportunity and you should see it as such. Like this is something that um when I say my feelings on it have evolved, I always thought it wasn't okay to wear the dress, but I would maybe 2 years ago when I started appearing on this podcast have talked about sort of like a more sensitive way to approach the topic or uh maybe some way that you could bridge it by making some excuse up now and then discussing it like in depth later. I say no. This is your chance. At four years old, your daughter can absolutely receive the message of all the reasons why it is wrong to wear a costume that is based on the outfit of an indigenous person as envisioned by a corporation designed to make money off that imagery. It is hurtful to the people who, you know, this appropriation is taking from and is based on. It is not based in reality, and it is it is not your family's values. It does not embody your values, and you don't want it to be her values. And if you just say it very straight, like, this is an opportunity. Open the door to start having this conversation all the time. Don't be afraid of it. Lean into it. Do not let her wear this dress. In fact, if I were you, I would suggest not letting her own this dress. It is not okay. Like I don't think it's okay. And I think this is an opportunity to be super clear about why. Oh, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I just love your answer, Rebecca. Um, I love, love, love your answer. And and it is absolutely right on. Um So, and being a person who is not white um, and a person who um, in some ways more closely resembles those brown princesses, although not really because um, none of those princesses are realistic. The white ones are not realistic and neither are any of the brown ones and the black ones and the beige ones and whatever else they come up with. They so far have not come up with anything realistic. Um, and because of all the corporate evil reasons that, <laughs> that Dan uh, talked about, they probably won't anytime in the near future. So, so bravo to your answer. Um, and, and absolutely bravo also to the spirit of your answer, which I hear as more of like a, beyond just the princess dress is the spirit of having enthusiastic conversations with kids and in some ways, especially white kids, about 
what does it mean? What does it mean to to be white? What does it mean to be not white? And what is it? What are the versions of that? And that there are really, in my opinion, there really isn't too early of a time to start talking about it because so far every study we have ever looked at has told us that kids are thinking, noticing, and talking about this from way before they can really articulate anything about it back to us. You know, and I know for sure that my son absolutely when they did, you know, they did collage collage artwork in preschool and they got to choose what what their skin color was from the little scraps of leather that they were going to glue onto the paper you know that yeah right away he had some really strong opinions about what his skin color was and I thought he chose a skin color that was not right because he chose skin that was very white Um, and I had all kinds of internal feelings about that although he's very light-skinned mixed also and very light-skinned um, and I realized at that point, yeah, he was he was three years old, not even three years old at that time. And I realized, oh, so I have to talk to him about this. The fact that there actually isn't a skin color that's the same color white as this piece of leather, not in real life anyway. And what does that mean? You know, and of course, I let you can let him be the guide. And in this case, you can let her be the guide um, for what she taught, what questions she asks and where the conversation goes. But I do not think it's too early to start the conversation with her. Um, and then I also wanted to say my my first instinct when I re- <laughs> heard this quandary was hide the dress. Um, and then I thought, okay, <laughs> that I've tried that so many times before, and I have had so many crazy versions of of how and why that doesn't work. Because, for example, it turns out that if you hide something that a child really likes, it turns out they have some internal sonar that allows them to find it no matter where you think you've hidden it out of their sight. Oh, yeah. It's the so, only thing kids can find are things yeah, that you Yeah, it really is. Yeah. yeah, they cannot <laughs> find socks in the morning, but they can find yeah. a despicable Barney doll that plays an awful song recording, you know, no matter where I put it in the house. Yes. I mean, the, obvi- you know, the number one reason to have this conversation with this kid at the age of four as has been articulated on this show and in many other places very well many times before, is parents of color and kids of color don't have the option of not having these conversations with their four-year-olds. They're already having these conversations with their four-year-olds. And their four-year-olds handle it and your four-year-old can handle it too and should. And Rebecca's right that this is an opportunity to start talking about these things that probably Probably based on the tone of your letter, you are not talking about with her yet. Uh, So seize this opportunity and use it. And it is crazy how often we get this question. I was reminded when I heard this question of nothing so much as um, an all-time great edition of Slate's parenting advice column, Karen Feeding. Uh, This one was written by the longtime host of this very program, Carvel Wallace, friend to us all. Um, It was published last October, and I just want to read it as a way of capping off uh, this uh, answer to this question. Dear Karen Feeding, my Caucasian son who is six wants to dress up as Michael Jackson and paint his face. How do I explain to him so he understands why he cannot? Dear letter writer, Christ, I can't wait until this fucking holiday is over. (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly 
All right. It is now time for the portion of our show, and we advise listeners as to products or concepts we endorse and think they should pursue. I like to call the section recommendations. Rebecca, what would you like to recommend? I would like to recommend a GIF that I have watched about 100 times this week. It's a two-second uh, commitment in your life. Basically, I found it on Reddit, and we'll put the link up so you can see it. Uh, it was The title was something like, What Sibling Relationships Are Actually Like? And the little video starts with a girl who looks to be about 12, 13 years old, sitting in like a giant beanbag chair, lounging, watching TV. And then out of the frame comes her sibling. It looks like a brother runs into the frame, jumps on the other side of the beanbag, and launches her across the living room. <laughs> and it's one of those, like, you know, ridiculous physical comedy things that sometimes kids make and put up on the internet. Uh, and it's perfect. And it absolutely encapsulates everything about sibling relationships that you ever need to know. And you'll probably want to watch it 100 times, too. So that's what my recommendation for the week. My recommendation would be for you to also post the 12-second video of your kids reenacting that exact same thing. <laughs> I'll do my best. Yeah. Uh, good one. We'll post a link on the show page on Slate.com. Uh, Aminta, what would you like to recommend today? Well, coincidentally, um, to this last letter that we addressed, um, it's a book for kids called Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. Um, and it's by someone named Anastasia Higginbotham. Um, and it was read to me out loud by a nine-year-old. So that might have influenced how much I enjoyed the book. Um, but it's a book, mm. um, a book with really cool illustrations and some bubble words and lots of things to talk about on every page um, that is about being white. Nice. Uh, that's a great recommendation. Um, I've seen that book and it is very good. I agree. Um, today, I would like to recommend not a product, but an action. I would like to recommend tearing up your backyard, throwing wildflower seeds all over it, and turning it into a meadow. Uh, so look, we we all know that lawns are bad, right? We're all clear on yeah. the fact that lawns are bad. They're bad for the environment. They're bad for drainage. Um, they're bad for wildlife that might live in your area. But of course, there's a lot of pressure from your neighbors, whether explicit or implicit or internalized. And husbands. And husbands <laughs> to keep a tidy lawn. And there's pressure maybe inside a house for your husband to have something to do. So you want him to keep a tidy lawn. Um, but this summer, I wanted to change up the way we were taking care of our yard uh, a little bit. Um, so this summer, I mow our little front lawn, as is traditional. I keep that neat so that everyone can see it. But our backyard, <laughs> which is much bigger and which was previously mostly just a large lawn, um, we tore it up. We hoed up the grass and dug, you know, furrows all over the place. And then we sprinkled wildflower seeds all over it. And then we just left it alone. We we got a lot of rain this spring. We get some mix of sun and shade back there. We just didn't touch it. And now we have a like a beautiful meadow. It's, there's tons of flowers and big tall grasses and things that I, I suppose they're weeds, but actually in reality they're just like plants. Um, and there are bees and fireflies everywhere. And I my anticipation is that in mere days an entire herd of deer will live there probably and a bear. <laughs> uh, anyways, I love our new meadow and I plan on enjoying it 
uh, every day and every night for exactly one year when it will be overtaken by Japanese knotweed and we will no longer be able to set foot in it. <laughs> but that's my recommendation. Make a meadow out of your yard. <laughs> or just move to New Hampshire where you don't have a choice right, except for your the, yard to be a meadow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or California where we have nothing. <laughs> Bare rock. Yeah, bare rock. Burned out husks of trees. That's right. (laughs) And remember, you can always see every single book, album, article, movie, lawn care tip that anyone has ever recommended or endorsed on any Slate podcast by going to Slate's Endorsomatic, our complete collection of everything that we have ever endorsed. You can find it at slate.com slash endorsements. There you'll find not only what we've endorsed over the years, or rather recommended, but also what they've endorsed on the Culture Gab Fest and every other podcast that Slate does. Check it out, slate.com slash endorsements. Uh, all right, that's our show. Now, of course, if you were a member of Slate Plus, this would not be the end of the show. Instead, you'd be hearing this. What kind of role do you have in the lives of not just your sister's kids, but in the kids of her partner? Are you yes. like a role model? Do you take them to do shit? Do you like, uh, you know, what what is your relationship with them like? That's just a sneak peek at what you could be hearing if you go to slate.com slash plus and sign up for Slate Plus today. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at momandad at slate.com. And join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. It was wonderful being on the show this week. Thank you, Amita. <laughs> thank you. And thank you all for listening. I'm Dan Coyce. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.